Welcome to episode 11 of The Thriving Lawyer with Kathleen Brenner. I thought that I would come on before we get into the guts of the podcast. This is one that I recorded late last year and I've been a little tardy in putting it up. So there are a few references to the upcoming Christmas period that you'll notice. But please don't let that put you off. This is a really, really important episode. Dr. Sharomi is a medical doctor and I, in our interview, the theme is effectively all about when you should take note of signs that you really should be seeing a doctor about whether you perhaps might have depression or anxiety. Um, Dr. Sharomi's established an online self-directed mental health course that is designed to help patients overcome those symptoms while they wait to see a psychologist. So she's the perfect person to have this discussion with. And part of the reason that I was so keen to have this discussion is that for me as a coach, it's so important to really be clear about the boundaries of my practice as a coach versus when mental health assistance is actually required. So this conversation, um, there's a lot of value that Dr. Shiromi um, shares. So I really encourage you to have a listen um, and I hope that you get a lot out of it. Thank you. You are listening to The Thriving Lawyer with Kathleen Brenner. Are you a lawyer who's feeling burnt out but you want more in life? Do you want to live a purpose-driven life that is filled with more meaning and joy? A life where you can absolutely thrive as a lawyer but not at the expense of everything else that is important to you. If you are, you've come to the right place. I'm a lawyer, a coach, a dreamer and a change maker. My mission is to help you grow and thrive, to embody your values and strengths as both a lawyer and human being and to expand what is possible for you so you can create a more joyful, fulfilling and impactful life than you ever previously imagined possible. All right, welcome to the latest episode of The Thriving Lawyer with Kathleen Brenner. So today I'm going and doing something a little bit differently. So, so far you might have noticed that when I've done the interviews, we've been interviewing lawyers and interviewing lawyers about the um, different experiences that they've had and the way they have been creating their own path in terms of The Thriving Lawyer. This episode is going to take a little bit of a um, different track because I also have a guest who I'm very pleased to introduce, Dr. Shiromi. Um, and Dr. Shiromi has been a doctor for 15 years. She's obtained her a medical degree from Melbourne's Monash University, and she completed her internship and residency at Alfred Health. After completing her specialist training and becoming a fellow at the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, she advanced her skills and completed further training in psychological strategies. She's a strong advocate for empowering her patients to stay informed and engaged, paving the way for accelerated progress and better health outcomes. Dr. Shiromi is a leader for change and innovation. She's the founder and CEO of The Cloud GP. Their signature course is an online self-directed mental health program that helps patients overcome symptoms of depression and anxiety while they wait to see a psychologist. Welcome, Dr. Shiromi. Thanks so much for having me. What a beautiful introduction. Cheers. <laughs> well, thank you. And look, you know, one of the, the reasons that I was so excited to have you on the podcast is the fact that I'm interested in helping lawyers thrive in all their aspects of their lives. And that means there's a couple of different aspects. There's the way that they thrive 
as lawyers, you know, when they're undertaking their professional jobs, the kind of skills um, and um, practices that can help them in that aspect, but also thriving as humans. Um, but I want to make sure when I do that, that people are really clear about when they should be coming to see me and when actually they need to be doing something else and potentially going to see a doctor um, for, for that kind of support. Yeah. Um, so just kind of um, start. I'm interested in, um, you know, you, you're, you see a lot of patients and I'm sure there's lawyers amongst them. Yes. Um, <laughs> and they're probably quite unique in some ways compared to the, in the way that they show up. So what do you think kind of holds back lawyers from seeing a GP for their health and wellbeing? Yeah, look, it's a really good question, especially when we talk about mental health. I think lawyers and doctors have got it that certain personality traits in common, I would say. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the biggest things is that there's a lot of stigma associated with mental health and that can hold a lot of people back, lawyers included, to be honest. So that feeling that, you know, we're very capable people, professional people and lawyers in particular, they've worked hard at school and they've got really busy jobs that have high demands and so they're they're geared to, to do things a lot by themselves and to be able to fix problems by themselves. So all of a sudden when you are struggling with something like mental health and you're, you know, you're feeling like you're able to fix it, um, it can feel like you're failing. And that is a huge confronting topic to be dealing with in general. So that can hold people back a lot. That concept of I should be able to fix this myself, like that old school concept of, you know, I should be able to pull my socks up and deal with this and get on with my life. I'm so capable of everything else in my life. Why can't I seem to get in control of this problem? I think is a really um, a big thing in terms of stigma and holding lawyers in particular in back from getting that help. And I think the solution to that is we really have to start reframing the way that we view mental health in terms of it being a, you know, pull your socks up, get on with the job sort of thing. We have to start viewing it like we view any other medical condition, you know, like a appendicitis or asthma, right? We never have someone coming in feeling guilty for asking for help with their asthma. They come in and they say, Dr. Shoromi, I'm having struggling, you know, I'm having struggling, I'm struggling to breathe. What can you do to help? And they're engaged in their healthcare and, and there's no shame associated with that. Now, it's very different when it comes to mental health. You know, people have a lot of guilt associated with it and, um, you know, come in feeling really hopeless and like they haven't done a good enough job. So I think we really need to change the view of mental health to see it as something that requires um, professional input and care and a really holistic management plan in terms of, of managing those sort of situations. And I suppose mm -hmm. the last thing is that feeling of hopelessness, which can be in part due to the depression or anxiety, but that feeling of if this is not going to get any better, there's nothing that can be done. And that's not true at all. Um, and like you mentioned, I've got quite a few patients who are lawyers and most certainly it, it takes work. It takes individualised care. You know, we go through and do a medical workup. They might engage in uh, psychological therapies. They may be on medication but when we do that review appointment in six, you know, three to six months, we can see change. And I see that every day. It's why I love doing mental health and it's my area of special interest. So things can most certainly get better. So we need to help people realise that there are evidence-based steps um, and good stats if that helps everybody kind of um, move with the program in terms of, of good outcomes and feeling better and improving life. Mm. One of the things that I really took out of that is that need to kind of move from waiting till it's 
late, like late in the piece and then responding once you've already got a massive problem versus being really proactive um, in the way that you approach it. Can you tell us a little bit more about that distinction? Because it is one that we're becoming, like we're hearing more about, and I think my audience would love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, of course. So I think one of the biggest issues that we deal with in general practice when people come in to see us for their mental health is that often they come to see us at absolute crisis point, right? They come to see us when their relationship is on the rocks, when they've been pulled in by the boss for a performance review, when they're potentially going to lose their job. And it breaks my heart because they've had to struggle with things often, you know, for months Mm. on end, sometimes years on end by themselves until they've all of a sudden got to this crisis point and they feel like they need to, you know, quickly move to fix things. And most certainly I want to make very clear that regardless of where you are on that spectrum of early versus late, we can always help. So always come in. There's no point that's too late to get that help and start improving life. But by golly, I would love to see you early. (laughs) It's so much easier to pull someone out of a hole when I can reach their hand. Now I've got pulleys and cranes and ladders and everything, and I can pull you out of that deep hole. But it's just a lot more of an easy process if we can help you early on when you think that there are cracks there and we can, you know, help you with lifestyle interventions, you know, evidence-based evidence, evidence-based interventions with diet, exercise and sleep and a bit of psychotherapy, you know, rather waiting for that crisis point to hit. Uh, there's there's so much we can do early on. And I understand why people come in later. It's like I said, it's all that stigma and trying to do everything yourself to try and fix it. But I would encourage everybody um, to try and come in early to see us about this stuff, to talk about it. And most certainly, if there's nothing that needs to be done, we'll tell you. But more often than not, and I would say this specifically with lawyers as well, because um, they do try and take on that load of managing things themselves. More often than not, if you think you are struggling with depression and anxiety, there's probably an element there that you are and that we probably need to jump in and help. And that process is, you know, we do a medical workup to diagnose you, we exclude other medical conditions, and then we talk about a a robust action plan moving forward, whether that be um, often it's, it's psychological therapies and lifestyle interventions to begin with. So, yeah, we really need to start looking at mental health from a, a proactive rather than reactive healthcare um, sort of system. Just like we go to the gym, we're not going to the gym necessarily because we've had a heart attack, but we're going to prevent the heart attack or stroke. So we need to start viewing mental health like we do physical health and be doing things in our lives to try and prevent mental health, you know, mental unwellness um, and to also help it ongoingly. Mm. So in the space that I work in, which is around coaching, so it's very kind of forward thinking about, you know, I don't coach people um, if if they need other other kinds of care. And so... We all we know a lot of what the science says in terms of positive psychology about the things that we as humans need to do to flourish. But things can kind of, you know, on a day-to-day basis, even if you're doing some of those things, um, you're going along, you're probably, if you're a lawyer, often, you know, you've got incredible work um, obligations and responsibilities, you're juggling an awful lot on your plate. Mm. Sometimes these things can kind of creep up on you and you don't even realize that it's starting to happen. So what are some of the signs that people should be looking out for or, you know, the triggers that you suggest should make them kind of stop, pause and think, oh, maybe this is something I need to do. Maybe I need to have this kind of check and chat with my doctor um, in order to kind of figure out whether there really is something going on there and what I need to be doing. 
Yeah, look, that's a really good question. It's that old analogy of the the frog in the boiling pot of yes. water, right? That, you know, you don't jump, you know, if the frog jumps in straight away, it'll jump straight back out. But if it sits there simmering in a warm pot of water, it'll be boiling before you know it. It won't know what's crept up on them. I think it's really important to evaluate. Well, I mean, let's look at it from a symptom point of view, the 101, right? Which anyone can Google and figure out the symptoms of depression and anxiety, but it's a lot more than that. So with depression and anxiety, and I'm going to talk about them both broadly because they, they can happen together, but they most certainly can happen separately as well. But starting with depression, there's a lowered mood. So what we call a depressed mood. So feeling down, feeling sad, not feeling your happy self. There's what we call anhedonia, which is a lack of motivation. So a lack of wanting to go out and do the things that you'd usually enjoy. That might be going, rocking up to work. It might be catching up with friends. It might be going out for a bike ride. You just can't be bothered anymore. The motivation just drops. Uh, Sometimes you can struggle with fatigue and loss of energy. So struggling with, you know, just feeling exhausted despite having a a good night's rest. But in saying that, rest can also be impacted by by depression. Uh, Things like weight changes, so either an increased appetite or a decreased appetite. And Unfortunately, sometimes suicidal thoughts, right? So these sort of things are the general symptoms of depression and anxiety and most certainly of depression, sorry. You don't have to have them all to qualify for having depression. We look at the time frame and the big factor that we look at, and this is the one I suppose I want your audience to think about and evaluate, is what we call the impact on daily life. So what's happening at home, right? How are you How are you functioning at work? Have, you know, in terms of work productivity, have you found that you're not able to concentrate anymore and, and carry out the tasks that you used to be able to carry out? Are you finding that in your relationships, you know, your, your partner is finding that you're losing a lot more and have got a short temper and you're not wanting to catch up with them or talk to them or open up and you're starting to socially withdraw and isolate? So you know, they're the sort of things I really want you to evaluate in terms of your life from a holistic point of view and see whether you are just not yourself and whether those symptoms are starting to impact your quality of life. You know, with anxiety, we're looking at things like excessive worry that you can't control, restlessness, fatigue, irritability, sleep disturbance. And again, the the important factor there is assessing whether that worry and that concerns and those those symptoms are then impacting you on a day-to-day life so you are not able to maybe you're feeling starting to feel stressed you wake up stressed about work you're stressed about going into work you you know on the ride there you're, you're stressing about what your boss might say it's very hard to concentrate you can't go to sleep at night because you're worried about a project and whether you're going to do well and you go through that what if spiraling thinking of all the worst case scenarios and you can't shake it off it's that sort of stuff that I want people to you know to look at to be frank, most people, um, and, you know, lawyers are extremely educated, you know, um, switched on people, it's more so not so much the symptoms. Like I said, we can all look that up. That's the 101. It's more taking a step back to evaluate and and look at the holistic picture of whether you're think you know, whether you think you're struggling. And, and that's sometimes something we just put our head down and keep motoring on. It's in our nature to do that. But yeah, my encouraging, uh, my point for everyone would be to stop and to get feedback to begin with. Sometimes it's really hard to see it when we're in our bubble and we think we're doing okay and we think we're managing things, but talk to friends, talk to family, talk to your partner and see what they think if you are a little bit worried as well in terms of trying to figure out, you know, where things stand. And my second point is if you're unsure, just come in to see us as a GP, right? You're never going to get yelled at by a GP to say, hey, you didn't need to come in, you're fine. I hope you never do. Um, And 
like I said, for most, for not most all, if I'm being honest, all the patients who I've seen that are lawyers that have come in, come in concerned about their mental health, there has been most certainly a valid concern and it's, you know, worth us doing a diagnostic workup. Sometimes we find other medical causes that we treat um, at the same time and then engaging with um, some mental health sort of psychotherapy or lifestyle interventions, like I mentioned. Mm. There's absolutely so much in that. So thank you, Dr. Sharoni. <laughs> Um, I want to pick up on one little thread because at the end there, um, because you talked about getting feedback and talking to your friends, uh, family partner, might even be colleagues too, if, yes. if in, in potential context. So I'm curious as to if you're that friend or that partner or the colleague and, and you're worried about someone else or, or they've actually asked you for that feedback. If you've got any suggestions, just I think it's a really interesting point of like, you know, I know what's happened to me and you've I've been really anxious about um answering that in in a in a way that is um helpful to the person. Um so yeah, a bit just be interested in your thoughts about that. Yeah, I think people get really nervous about it and people get really worried that they're going to do damage um or they're going to say the wrong thing. But I think the thing to remember is that if you are there and if you are listening and if you are supportive and if you are validating the person, you are doing good, right? You are, I mean, it's great that the person has come and spoken to you in the first place. So let's just acknowledge that, right? You've got a relationship with someone that they trust, that they've been willing to come in and, and have a chat to you and, and disclose it to you in the first place. So already understand that you're sitting on a good wicket and that you are perceived by that person as a good egg and someone who's a trustworthy friend. So that's the first thing, just to alleviate any concerns that you're going to do wrong here. I think the next thing is to listen and to be supportive. And when I say listen, I mean try not to cut the person off because I think sometimes in today's society when we're all really busy with things and we just want to make people feel better, we will sort of, you know, put a, a, a stop, if you mean, to anyone opening up and feeling bad and just go, oh, no, 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 you'll be fine, like you'll be okay and, and try and just um, quickly stop them getting overly worried about things, but just take the time to slow down and listen and consider what the person is saying. And so trying to provide helpful feedback from being supportive and validating the person's concerns and worries, I think is a really important point. And then I would, you know, certainly if you can relate to the situation, like if it's a work situation and validate and go, you know what, I've sometimes felt like that as well in terms of dealing with this particular problem. And I think it's very normal for you to feel the way you're feeling given what you're dealing with. So provide that support from a camaraderie point of view and that helps develop connection. And I think the next most important thing would be to encourage them to get professional help at the end of the day. And, you know, um, that means that you don't have to diagnose anybody. You don't need to take a big um, symptom assessment and do a medical workup like I have to do, but you are then, you know, you can go to bed at sleep at night knowing that that person has been encouraged to see or connect with a great GP um, or a doctor who can assess them and and work with them to see whether they are struggling with their mental health. Uh, that might be really overwhelming for somebody, to the idea of seeing a GP. So if you had a positive experience with a GP, then most certainly share that. If you've got a great GP and they haven't, maybe um, suggest your GP to them or, you know, offer to go in with them. I've had patients come in with their partners, with their work colleagues, with their parents, who are there as a support person just to help them navigate that overwhelming, sometimes overwhelming appointment. Um, so, yeah, that would be my sort of tips for helping someone. But I think it's great that the person has actually come to you to speak to you in the first place. That's 
that's a, a big thing. And you've obviously done some great work as a friend or a partner in allowing for that um, level of connection. Mm. Yeah. And I suppose too, like when we behave in that way and are really proactive in our responses, we, we, we are in turn contributing to that culture that we talked about that you actually want to change in terms of going from that reactive to that pro- proactive mode with our mental health. Because of course, we all exist in societies with our families, with our friends, in our with our work colleagues. And if I think about my experience of the legal profession, you know, I think traditionally, and I do think this is changing, I think particularly since the pandemic, the conversations about mental health have often become much more um, rich and it's being brought from out of the cupboard where, you know, used to never be talked about. Um, but I still think that there's so far to go in terms of that culture shift. So I can see that that's a, a fantastic way to, you know, to, to walk the walk, basically, to not just talk the talk. Um I'm curious, though, in terms of that role of culture um, and wh- whether, you know, you've seen changes or you've got any suggestions about how we can, even beyond that, um, talking to the person, kind of contribute to that different culture. Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of things, isn't there? I mean, we can look at it from an individual perspective and we can look at it from a big systems mm-hmm. perspective in terms of um, big companies and what they're doing to encourage proactive healthcare in general, you know, whether they're doing things like having talks with their um, staff about wellness and about encouraging everyone to seek independent medical, sort of have that connection with the GP, whether they're doing things to bring about a positive culture in the workplace, Mm. whether that be group activities where you get to know your colleagues past, you know, someone just writing a document next to you um, and get to understand and form that social connection at work. You know, we spend so much time at work, don't we? Like we sometimes spend more time talking to colleagues than we have time with our kids or our partner, If depending on, you know, or your friends, sometimes depending on what you do for work. So it's so important to build a culture where we can talk and we can communicate and we can, you know, share the good things but also share the not-so-great things and and be okay with doing that and knowing that we can do that without any negative outcomes, without having that held against us. So I think, you know, being the person that from a work point of view that, it, it can be little things, you know, on a Monday morning when you go to have your coffee break and you see a colleague in the in the tea room to say, hey, how did your weekend go? How are you going? So just creating an environment where you get to know someone past their work hat and know that they've got a dog and that they've, you know, or they're into rock climbing or getting to know them as a person and being able to share a bit about you, it makes for a much more pleasant work environment. And then to be honest, if we if we foster that sort of culture, then if someone is struggling, they're more likely to, one, approach bosses and approach colleagues at the early stages and, two, feel safe because that's what we all want. People are worried that they're going to have judgment or, or all of that. So normalising talking about, um, you know, challenging consults and, and that sort of thing and debriefing about tricky um, client relations and things like that is, is really important. It brings, so you might have a team meeting where it's not just about the agenda of what we're going to cover for the week or what we've covered for the week, but we also talk about the challenges and how everyone's feeling and brainstorm and help someone if they're struggling with a particular facet of work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in a sense, 
to me, that's about being relationship centered in the way that we approach the world, that we're ultimately humans and we have those relationships beyond just the work that we do. And it's kind of in some ways incredible that we even need to say that, but I think it is absolutely so important um, to directly acknowledge that and be really clear. Um, I love that piece around, um, you know, the fact that creating those kind of cultures and places where people feel safe is more likely to pick up those signs much earlier if they do occur. Um, but that sparked a thought in me, which was just that, you know, I know that um, in my career as a lawyer, um, so easy things get very busy. And I know some people, particularly in some of the big law firms, they can find themselves suddenly working long hours. Like I think um, the cultures are shifting, but there's no doubt that there's still issues. Mm. People can work till all hours. Suddenly the work pressure can be really high. And there's a lot about the work that we do that's out of our control in terms of the demands that other people put on us, like our clients, like our employers, et cetera. And so in terms of the actual prevention piece, I'd love to get some thoughts from you in terms of really practical kind of ways. I mean, you, you've gone through a lot earlier in the conversation around the symptoms and mm. identifying them, but going more in that proactive space on an individual level of the things that we can be doing ourselves to be looking after and even prevent us from even getting to that point where we're starting to think, oh, there's something wrong here. Yeah, great question. Um, so let's look at it from things we can do at work and then things that we can do outside of work. Like you mentioned, there are many things um, within the work environment that are completely out of your control, right? So we want to focus our energy on the things that we can practically change. Now, there might be things that you think are completely out of your control, but they're not. So let's clarify that to begin with, because boundary setting is super important, especially with lawyers, in terms of your working hours, in terms of uh, whether clients can contact you at 3 a.m. in the morning or whatever they want or, you know, how many meetings you schedule for the day, whether you are having a lunch break and going to the toilet, you know, all of things like that, which sometimes, you know, even from the most basic human function we forget or we push aside because we're trying to give so much to our um, to our job. So I think looking at it from a, you know, from a really practical point of view and looking at what time do you start work, what time do you finish work, how much overtime do you do and trying to look at ways to make sure that you haven't got too much on your plate to the point where you are unproductive, right? Because we have to acknowledge that there comes a point where you can be a very hard worker, but if you don't have boundaries, you're going to get to a point where you're spreading yourself too thin and you're not able to do a good job at the things that you're meant to be doing a good job at, right? And I'm not an expert lawyer to know exactly what your tasks are, but I think making sure that you have got the right amount on your plate so that you can be in focus and, you know, concentrate on the jobs that you're doing and meant to be doing properly. So that's a, a big one in terms of boundary setting. It might mean that that's something you just do yourself in terms of making sure that you leave a 15-minute break or 30-minute break at lunchtime to go outside and to get some fresh air and some sunlight and reset, you know, reset for the afternoon session, it might mean that you need to have a chat to your boss and just say, look, I think right now, you know, I'm working X hours and I can feel myself starting to struggle and not be as productive and, and good at my job. And I want to be good at my job. And I think I need to be able to cut down my hours. How can I work with you and the company to be able to achieve that? So that's the 
in work stuff, for instance. And then, like I said, a positive culture and, and that sort of thing as well. And we're making sure that you're working in the right environment, right? Like there's different workplaces with different cultures and, and all of that. So making sure that work fit is right for you and it's bringing you joy and filling your cup. And then I think if we look at it from the outside point of view, and this is something we talk about in, in medicine a lot in terms of managing depression or anxiety, lifestyle factors are huge. They are massive. So before we even get to psychotherapy, um, there's so many changes you can make in terms of proaction, in terms of your diet, exercise and sleep. So making sure that, you know, and we this is a very broad thing to say, eat healthy, but looking at, you know, what are you having for lunch? Are you just are you having lunch to begin with or are you not having lunch? Are you able to spend the time to be able to cook a healthy meal? And if you're not, can you outsource it? Can you do meal prep on the weekends? So trying to look at really specific things to improve in terms of diet and most certainly you know, GPs and, and dietitians can help you with that if you're struggling. Looking at exercise, like we know the incredible benefits that exercise has on mental health and well-being. It's really important. And if you're someone who doesn't exercise it doesn't need to be this intimidating thing. No one's asking you to go for a marathon run, but we're talking about really simple interventions. You know, I'm talking about things like if you can go for a little bit of a, a walk in your lunch break. I used to do that once when I was a training GP. I had an amazing consultant who used to go on walks with his registrars at lunch, and it was just such a beautiful thing to reset for the afternoon and, and get a fresh perspective and, and clear my head and have a debriefing chat with him at lunch um, and get some sunlight, which you never do when you're in office. So doing that, it might be a case of, you know, getting a, off the tram a stop earlier and walking that distance to work. So you get a little bit of um, exercise that way or might be making time to do exercise after work. And your sleep hygiene is a huge one in terms of being on our phones, in terms of creating a um, an environment conducive to sleep and having routine which is really important as well. So I'd say lifestyle factors and making sure that we're doing all of those things and then things like meditation. So we know that, you know, most certainly individualized psychotherapy works, but we know that meditation has incredible benefits in terms of preventing and managing depression and anxiety. Yeah. It's... There's so much there. I'm just sort of pausing yeah, look, there. There because... is there is so much there. And that that I think is part of the problem sometimes is yeah. that it's like, oh, far out. Where do I even start? Right? Like I've just listed off a massive list and your listeners will be like, oh, far out. That's great advice. But what do I do? Do I put a granola bar in my lunchbox or do I make a timer? You know, do I go swimming all of a sudden or do I get my phone off, you know, 30 minutes before bed? Where do I start? And that and that here's the thing. You don't need to start with everything. You need to, and this is why it's good to see a, um, someone who can help you with managing that overwhelm. And, and we're also talking about people who are potentially struggling with overwhelm as well. So we've just dumped this on them as well, okay? <laughs> so we need to take small steps. I can sit here and talk about a million and one things in terms of um, managing depression or anxiety and preventing depression and anxiety, but we just start with small change because if we start with small change, we can build from there. So don't feel like you need to do everything at once. That's way too much. Often with my patients who I see um, with depression and anxiety, when we tackle lifestyle interventions, we pick one thing and I go to them, right, you're going to do one thing for this week um, or for maybe a fortnight. And then after that's established, let's add on another, right? And so their one thing for that week might be really simple. It might be to drink enough water every day. And so that's their goal. And they work on that. And once they've achieved that in a fortnight and that's regular, then we go, okay, do you reckon you could 
you know, you're not doing any exercise at the moment, what's doable for you? Do you reckon going for a walk around the block twice, you know, most days of the week, five days a week, is that doable? Yep, it is. Great. So we add that on. And then in a fortnight later, we add on something else. So don't feel overwhelmed by the things that we do to manage depression and anxiety. There is a lot and there's no no one is perfect at this stuff. If we have a chat and analyse anybody, um, there will be little flaws and little things that they could be doing better. So it's not um, the goal to be perfect at this stuff. It's just to improve it. Um, and that can help. If you're feeling really overwhelmed and don't know where to start, it can help to see a GP to help them, uh, help you, sorry, figure out where to begin and give you a little bit of guidance. Yeah, I love your reaction there in terms of that overwhelm because it was exactly my reaction then of like, oh, there is so much great stuff yes. here. Which bit do I pull pull out and focus yeah. on? Yeah. Um, but what I also wanted to just kind of add and get your reaction potentially is, you know, at that very preventative stage when you are well or or, or okay and and um, you're just wanting to to raise the bar to flourish as a human. Mm. Um, you know, that's where I really see the role of coaching here because we do exactly what you, you just spoke of, which is that we don't start with the whole menu um, in terms of having to t- order it all and go from there. It's really about thinking about, you know, values, strengths, um, goals. And then from that kind of, you know, if, if we've got those really fundamental things a lot clearer we can actually in a very deliberate way pick from that menu to use the metaphor in a very deliberate kind of way and slowly you know you might start with the entree <laughs> and you see how that goes but that kind those kind of action steps and um, can build over time so just um kind of keen to see how, how like how that lands with you <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's really key. I think when we, whenever we have any problem, right, we've got to break it down into small achievable steps. It's very easy to go on the internet and to read all the things you can do or to, you know, read a book and all the things that you can do and just not know where to begin. And knowledge is one thing. And I think, um, you know, most certainly as lawyers, as doctors, we like to learn. We feel confident when we learn and we take on information but it's about practically applying that information as well, right? It's We can all become experts in the symptoms of depression and anxiety and the medical workup and all the a million and one lifestyle things that you can do and psychological therapies you can do. But if we don't implement them, we haven't actually moved forward in any way or form, right? So, yes, I would most certainly encourage people to just start off with one thing. And you're not racing anybody. Let's remember that, right? We're just trying to improve life for you and so there's no need to compare yourself to what somebody else is doing and or anything like that start with small steps for sure yeah yeah well thank you for that because um I think that that's really helpful um for lawyers to just keep in mind and particularly what you said at the end there about the difference between that information and the application because I think that is absolutely the key trap like doctors we live up in our heads so often in terms of the intellectual side yeah it's very easy to just think that by learning you're you're actually doing Mm. and they're actually quite different things so very different things and the other beautiful thing about applying and practically doing is that you get positive reinforcement that Mm. is the best thing in the world so you might find that in a month's time after you've improved your work lunches and you're taking the time out to eat lunch at work and you're getting some sunlight and you're doing a little bit of exercise you know my favorite appointment as a GP to be honest is what we call the mental health care plan review appointment so it's the appointment that we do maybe three to six months after someone has come in for a mental health care plan a referral to a psychologist 
And then we sit down and review their depression or anxiety and we go, right, let's have a look at like where we were, what you've done and where you are now. And it is the nicest appointment. It gives me the complete warm and fuzzies because people reflect and they go, you know what, I was at this place and I was struggling with work and I was unable to concentrate and I wasn't doing a great job with my clients and I was feeling really crappy about myself and my relationship at home wasn't great. I was yelling with my kids. But now after doing boom, 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 and it's the small things that we've added up and doing a bit of psychological therapy, I'm going on date nights with hubby now and I'm doing after school cricket with my kiddo and you know, my colleagues complimented me on how well I managed this really tricky case. And I had a performance chat with the boss and they're really happy with what I'm doing and I'm up for a promotion. So, you know, it's really nice to get that positive reinforcement from the work that you do put in. And then then, then that kind of is a cycle and it drives you to keep going with it. So it, it sometimes it's hard to get that ball rolling, but once you do, the momentum builds up. Um, and so that's another thing to consider when you start doing those little things. It does build up over time and, and create that that impact that then goes on to flow on to work, to relationships, to life in general. Excellent. Well, like, so before we kind of wind up then, I'm really interested, you know, because we've covered a huge amount of ground, but now to, to you and the, the Cloud GP program. So yeah. really keen to hear about, like, what is it? How do people find it? What benefit could it have for lawyers in particular? Yeah, of course. We'd love to speak about it. So, um, look, I'm a GP, as you mentioned in the intro, and I've been a GP for 15 plus years. Um, and I've, I love general practice and my absolute bees knees consult, like I mentioned, is mental health. I love mental health, but I was finding that over time I was getting frustrated. My patients were getting frustrated with the current system because we know that it's really hard to get in to see a GP and the wait times to see psychologists and psychology providers are quite long. And we want to help people when they come in asking for help. Ultimately, you know, if you come in to see a GP and you are struggling with work and or your relationships on the rocks or you know all of those things, we want to be able to provide you with immediate action then and there. And the system right now is under resourced, and it's really hard to be able to do that. And that then leaves patients who are motivated and action focused to potentially start going backwards and to start letting the overwhelm and self doubt and all of that creep back in for them to get worse off symptoms. So we don't want that. So. We created um, the Cloud GP and we've launched our signature course, First Steps to Overcoming Depression and Anxiety, which is a online self-directed mental health program. It's GP directed. And um, yeah, so it's, you know, overcoming first, first steps to overcoming depression and anxiety. So it walks you through, and it's only an hour and a half, I should mention. So it's not long, especially for lawyers, I think, because we all think, oh my goodness, I can't sign up to a six or eight week mastermind. How on earth am I going to fit that on my plate when I've already got so much? So it's a short course. It's doable. There are three different sections in it. The first section is about understanding what depression and anxiety is, understanding the medical workup and understanding the stigma that often holds you back from seeking help and from succeeding. It's really important for anyone with any health condition to understand their condition because once you understand your condition and you understand how it came to be and what you need to do to get it better, you're more likely to have better health outcomes. We just know that. Patients that are engaged, patients that are well-informed have better health outcomes. And it's the same with, with any health condition, like you know taking a tablet for cholesterol. If you know the reason you're doing that, you're more likely to take the tablet. So the first consult is all about building up good foundational understanding of depression and anxiety. The second consult, and a bit of the first as well, is the doing part, which is the bit that I'm really excited about. So it's 
lifestyle interventions, and then we start doing some psychotherapy, self-directed psychotherapy. We get into problem-solving therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, and a bit of mindfulness. It's all introductory stuff, and it's all stuff that has sort of uh, PDFs and downloads to reinforce your learning and stuff that you can do at home. And then the last consult is all about social connection and suicide safety. So it's the stuff that, you know, like we were talking about before in terms of creating a, a positive work culture, um, it's about getting your family and friends to be able to help you positively because we know that there can be some relationship conflicts and stuff like that that happens with depression and anxiety and we want to equip not just you to manage your, your mental health but to help the people around you, support you in a non-judgmental and practical way. So, yeah, it's a program that you can bust out over the weekend if you want. We recommend you do it over three days and it's it's there for the people that have maybe seen a GP, they've been diagnosed with depression or anxiety and are waiting to see a psychologist. But it's also for the people, to be honest, that aren't quite ready to see a GP, um, you know, to get the ball rolling, to understand what's normal, what's not normal and practical things that they can do to get them started and feeling better ASAP. So where can we find you? Yes. <laughs> so I'm on Instagram at, at the cloud GP um, and we've got a heap of um and then the website, sorry, is www.thecloudgp.com.au. And on there, um, there's a program outline if anyone wants to sign up to our program. But there's also a heap of free resources, which I'd encourage you to check out. So there's some resources there to help you prepare for a mental health care plan, um, psychology referral appointment with your GP. So I know that lawyers like to prepare, much like <laughs> doctors as well. We like to be able to know you know, yeah. what questions is your GP going to ask you and so that you're not sitting there feeling silly like bunny in headlights sort of thing, there's a good resource on there that will take you through the general questions that we'll ask and allow you to prepare ahead of time so that when you walk in you feel a bit confident. There's a resource on there in terms of all the crisis support numbers in Australia and all the online resources and there's also a free resource on there to get the ball rolling in case you are waiting to see the psychologist and you want to start improving life and getting those good outcomes like we mentioned. There's so much there. So I really encourage people to go have a look. And I also just wanted to say congratulations on creating something like that because um, it's, you know, when you think of the system overall and people's issues navigating it, something like this is just such a wonderful tool to really help people navigate it in a in a really, in a way that puts them at the centre yeah. um, and gives them power to direct where they need to go and figure out for themselves. So I just wanted to say how amazing I think that is. Oh, thank you. No, we're, we're really excited about it. You know, we have to start being innovative with health, right? We have to start coming up with solutions that are accessible to people that are busy, that are time poor. We don't want people waiting around, waiting for symptoms to get from bad to worse. We want them to feel supported and to have evidence-based knowledge and skills that they can build upon to, yeah, to feel better in life. Mm. Well, thank you, Dr. Sharomi. That has been wonderful. I've really appreciated having you on. Cheers, my pleasure. You have a lovely day. You too. Thank you. Take care. Bye. <laughs>